Amen. Please remain standing as we read God's word together. This is from Acts chapter 16, and our text this morning is verse 27 through 34. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought, when he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Praise God for the reading and hearing of his word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for... The reading of scripture, we thank you for the singing of your church. God, you are so infinitely good. You're working in ways we cannot see. You're working behind the scenes. You're working in our souls and our minds. You're conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ himself. And Lord, we are in a September kind of mood. School's back in session. There's a lot of busyness. There's a lot of new calendar commitments going on. We're filling up our calendars full of activities for kids and families and travel. And God, there's a certain pressure that comes with those commitments. There's a certain pressure that comes with school. There's a certain pressure that comes with uh, the, the, the education of our youth. And we feel that. And Lord, there are cancer diagnoses. There are sicknesses. There are hospitalizations. There are trials that are happening right now, right here at Living Waters. And oh God, we feel the weight of those things. God, we see that life is very fast and we have very little control over circumstances. And oh God, we pray that you would move us into worship through the difficult things. Lord, we think of marriages in this room. Pressure, conversations, parenting, disagreements, Busyness, pressure, a lot of marriages are being pushed to the brink of ruin or difficulty. And oh God, we lift them up to you as well. And God, in all of these things, all of this stuff that we just prayed about is a fraction of what's going on in our lives. And oh God, all of those things compete with our minds to distract us from the beauty of Jesus Christ. So, oh God, be merciful to us. 
that we might see the word of God and pay attention to the word of God and give our minds and hearts to the word of God because Jesus is the only way. Our worship of Jesus is the only way through our current life. Jesus, you're the resurrection and the life. You are the hope for those who are in darkness. You are the the joy of those who are in sadness. Jesus, you are the the absolute treasure of those who are, are wondering what this life is all about. Jesus, you're the answer to the questions. You're you're everything. And oh, Christ, you're here with us. You're here. And would you be so gracious and merciful to meet us in the word right now, in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So, good to see all of you this morning. My name is Josh. I'm the preaching pastor here at church. And... I'm just under 15,000 days old. I almost said years. (laughs) I age really well for 15,000 years, do I not? 15,000 days old. I'll let you do the math. Everybody's pulling their phones out. Divide it by 365. See what that is. Um, It's my birthday today. That's cool. It's amazing. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Love you guys. I can't think of a place I'd rather be, right? than with you on my birthday. That's cool. Also, I can't think of of an activity I'd rather be doing on the earth than preaching the Bible on my birthday. So praise the Lord for that. If the sermon sucks, I'm sorry. Okay, I did my best. Uh, We're in Acts 16, and the, the title of the message this morning is The Accomplishing Gospel. The Accomplishing Gospel. And here's a, here's a question that I want to ask you. It feels really good, does it not, when you accomplish something, right? You set yourself up with a goal. You get the goal done. It feels really good when you accomplish something. Now, a couple human examples of this. The Webb Space Telescope, astrology, space. Some of you have seen some of the images that have come back to us from this telescope. Amazing, mind-blowing images. In fact, one of those images is the theme picture for our next sermon series in Romans this fall. But it's sending back these stunning photos, and you just look at the accomplishment of God, right? In space, God, you're so amazing. God, you have accomplished so much. The stars and the heavens that I see are beyond my ability to understand. I just worship you. Also, you give a little nod to NASA, don't you? <laughs> Good job on that telescope, right? That, that is amazing. How did they do that? that that's what I want to know in my simpleton mind. I want to know how they did that. Um, what about church? Church progress. We are in phase four of our renovation right now. Praise the Lord, right? We got stuff going on. We got drywall and insulation going up in this kid's wing. If you walk through that kid's wing, which you're not supposed to, but I have, it, you, you didn't expect me to say anything different, right? I walked through like, this is cool. It gets me energized, gets me excited. I can start to see the vision for the kid's ministry. It's so cool, right? And then on top of that, 
Julie and Rob ran this uh, teacher training thing yesterday. Awesome. They did such a good job. I'm so excited for Kids for Truth and our youth ministry this fall. It's going to be unbelievable. And then we moved our temporary offices from down the road into here. And it's in that section of the building, which is a future storage room, but we're using it as offices for now. And I'm, and I'm here last night typing and doing stuff. And I just look to the left and this door is open. I look, I'm like, I am sending an email out in the church building where my office is now located for the first time in my pastoral career, right? And I remember sending an email out from my home office, office in living room, to 19 people to say, hey, church is in our basement tomorrow. Hope that you're excited for worship at the Daggett Casa, you know? And you think about the accomplishment of God, right? God, how do you accomplish such things? This is marvelous. This is mind-blowing that you, God, have done all these things. And when you see God accomplishing things, it just encourages you, right? Because some things we accomplish and many, many things God himself accomplishes. And that's the heart of the passage this morning in Acts 16, God is accomplishing a lot of things through the gospel of Christ. God is always accomplishing things through his gospel all the time, every day, right now, right here. Isn't that awesome? That's so encouraging in a world full of discouragement. Like we can look at the gospel and we can say God is not only active in the gospel, he's accomplishing things in the gospel and we get a front row seat to watch God do his thing in other people's lives and in our lives, praise the Lord. So that's why I titled the message, The Accomplishing Gospel. Now, certainly Paul and Silas knew this in Acts 16. They had seen the gospel active, you know, last week, the active gospel. Paul and Silas are going to see the accomplishing gospel now. They're sitting in a jail cell at midnight, singing hymns to God, and all of a sudden, God brings an earthquake. All of a sudden, God brings the jailer to their feet, saying, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> I can't think of a better evangelism opportunity in my life than, than someone coming to Josh Daggett and saying, Sir, what must I do to inherit eternal life or have salvation? Like, don't you wish all your evangelism opportunities were that easy, right? God did all the work. And then, all of a sudden, Paul and Silas are not only going to lead this man to Christ, but they're going to lead the family to Christ. And a matter of hours after they get thrown into this prison, they will be sitting at the table with the jailer and his family eating food with their wounds cleaned off of their backs rejoicing in the salvation of Jesus Christ in that house. That's awesome. That is an accomplishing gospel where God is not only active, but he's accomplishing. And I just want to lead off by telling you, this is who God is. This is who your God is. He is a saving God. It's what he loves to do. 
Psalm 68 verse 20 says it this way. Our God is a God of salvation. And to God, the Lord, belong the deliverances from death. Psalm 68 verse 20. Powerful verse. I just read it this morning in my devotions. Really, really good. I want to encourage you because some of you are in the persecution stage or the trial stage of what you're walking through in your walk with Jesus. Right now, you're in a dungeon of darkness, maybe depression and anxiety, and you're wondering, why should I sing and pray to God when it's dark and I'm in jail and my back is bleeding? Why should I do that? Because this text in Acts 16 tells you why. You do it because God never wastes a moment of your persecution. Paul and Silas would stand here and tell you not one moment of darkness is lost on God. God is at work. God is going to accomplish something in in you and through you that you can't even believe right now. So I want to encourage you this morning, the gospel is accomplishing things and just take it to the bank, walk by faith. Things are going to start happening. God is going to start accomplishing things in your life. Don't give up, amen? Don't give up. Sing in the darkness. Walk by faith, not by sight. And walking by faith, you know, it's hard. Can I get a witness? It's hard. Why? Because you're really stepping out. You know, like you're stepping out saying, I don't, I don't know how all of that's going to work. I'm trusting that God's going to accomplish some things. <laughs> but the days might feel a little long and the rods on your back might hurt a little bit. Keep staying with Jesus. He's going to accomplish great things in your life. And it's worth every single thing that you're going through. So every sinner who gets saved by Jesus gets saved in a different way. Everybody here has a unique story. Your story is your story. There's there's no one like you. In the midst of that, this text is going to say, there are universal steps that God takes in accomplishing salvation in every generation. There are universal steps that God always takes to accomplish the gospel salvation in every generation. So you are unique But yet, how you got saved is very similar to everybody else who's gotten saved. Amen? Some people get like testimony guilt. Like you hear the drug testimony and you're like, I guess I better go do heroin. You know, and then get saved. And then I'll have a dramatic testimony. No. Do not, as Lawrence Taylor once said, Don't smoke crack. Let's close in prayer. Your testimony is yours. Praise God. You were a sinner, lost in your sin. I don't care if you're five years old or 50 years old. I don't care if you went to Sunday school every week or you never darkened the door of a church. I don't care if you're a drug addict or you never did a drug in your whole life. It doesn't matter. You were lost in need of Christ. And then God found you by his grace and he saved you, maybe in a Sunday school room, maybe on a street corner, 
maybe at a, a gathering of an evangelist or maybe at a church or something happened where you heard the gospel, that is a miracle every single time. Your testimony is awesome and it matters to God. So there's universal ways in which God saves people. And I just want to lay out four as we go to the communion table together. Four ways or four steps that God uses to accomplish his salvation. The first step is this, desperation. Desperation. When the jailer woke, verse 27, and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew a sword and he's about ready to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Now, Paul calls out in verse 28, and then in verse 29, the jailer calls for lights. He rushed in and he's trembling with fear He falls down in front of Paul and Silas and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The first thing you need to know about God's accomplishing gospel is that you've got to be desperate. You've got to be desperate for God if you're going to get Jesus in your life. And it's always that way. What a wake-up call, right? It's midnight. Paul and Silas are singing, but the jailer, he had put those guys away in prison. He went to bed. He's sleeping. The earthquake wakes him up. That is a shocking wake-up call, right? That's a bad alarm clock. Can I get a witness? That ain't fun. Earthquake happens. All the jail cells are open, and all the prisoners are free. Now, there is one thought in his mind. I'm dead. Because in Roman culture, Roman Empire officials do not look kindly on a jailer who can't keep the prisoners in jail. If you can't keep a prisoner in jail, you are no longer employed. And not only are you no longer employed, you're no longer alive. So the jailer's looking at the situation. It's very obvious. He's, he is totally done. And the only thing he can think about is, well, it'd be easier for me to take my life than to let a Roman soldier take my life. So he pulls out his sword and he's ready to kill himself. He is at this place of panic desperation. And Paul calls out to him. Praise God, right? Paul calls out. Now that's the next point. Let's stay on this point. So he is in desperate straits. I mean, when you think the only way out is to kill yourself, you're in a desperate position. Now, if I could speak really quickly to this, this is what is required before you meet Jesus. You have to be desperate doesn't mean you have to go get a sword. It doesn't mean that you have to be on the verge of suicide. You have to be to the place where you are desperate for God. That's when you get saved. Some of you in this crowd are considering suicide. Some of you are. I just want to address that. I know this from counseling. I know some of you might be in that position where you haven't told anybody else. You haven't told me. You haven't said anything to anyone, but you are thinking really, really dark thoughts about your future. Some of you are very depressed. Some of you are in darkness. Some of you are walking in really scary spots. And I just want to let you know, you have a safe place at Living Waters to share. Amen? We have a counseling ministry. We want to hear from you. I've heard from a handful of you over the years and in counseling rooms saying Pastor, it might be better that I'm just not here anymore. Life would be better if. And I just want to tell you, no, we like having you around. Amen? We like every single one of you being around. Jesus loves you. 
There is hope for you. And you might be feeling in a desperate place. Well, hopefully that desperate place leads you to the feet of Christ. Because in Jesus, there's newness, there's freedom, there is joy, and there is real turnaround for those who are feeling like, like the Philippian jailer is feeling. Right? So then Paul says, hey, we're all here. Don't worry about it. And then he comes in, he asks for lights. He comes in, probably just disbelief dominating his mind. And he came trembling and fearful and he fell down in front of Paul and Silas. This is amazing. The very people that he threw into the inner prison hours earlier, he is now kneeling before for salvation. What a turnaround. Now, if you think about this, he's trembling. You guys ever trembled before? Like been so intense that you've been like this? I, I have. I mean, probably most of you have where it's just been super intense. Like, and you don't know what to do. That's the kind of situation we're in here. He is trembling and he's so intense in this conversation. He needs to know how to be saved. He needs God in his life. This is the reality of, of every person who ever gets saved. Now, sometimes you don't go to the extreme, but you feel the same level of desperation. That is how you got saved. And he asks, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? This is the greatest question of all time. That he would ask this question, salvation being the, the main thought of his mind, he was undistracted. Think about how many distractions a Roman jailer probably had every single day in his life. For him to have an undistracted moment where he was desperate for God, like a child saying, I need salvation from God. This is a miracle of God. This is God accomplishing his salvation in the life of a sinner. Only God can bring someone to this level of desperation. God knows what you need. He knows what you need to be desperate for him. All of our circumstances look different, but this is God's accomplishing work through the gospel to bring you to a place where you're at the end of yourself. What must I do to be saved? He wasn't trying to defend himself. He wasn't trying to lean on his good works. He wasn't trying to clean his life up. He wasn't trying to make excuses. He was softened by God like a child looking at Paul and Silas saying, whatever it takes. For some of you, that's where you're at this morning. Whatever it takes, God. You're finally at that moment, whatever it takes. And you know when you're there, right? You know when you're there because God puts you there. And I would just encourage you, this is the first step in God's accomplishing gospel, desperation. The second step in this gospel accomplishment is declaration. Verses 28 through 31, declaration. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And then in verse 31, he said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. God accomplishes salvation through declaration. Paul cried out with a loud voice. Can you imagine Paul's voice, how it sounded to this guy? Right? To this guy, he probably thought, this is an angel, right? This is an angel talking. Like when you hear that voice, you're like, yes, sign me up. 
sign me up. I, I'm full of darkness. All of a sudden, you hear this voice. Hey, it's okay. We're all here. Everyone's here. Everybody's here. No one has left. And I don't know what moved Paul to do that, but praise God it did, right? Praise God Paul said something. Praise the Lord. And then his voice shared the gospel with this man. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you and your household, and you'll be saved, right? Believe. This is an amazing thing. God accomplishes salvation through the voices of men. God brings salvation and accomplishes salvation through the voices of men, people, humans. Think about scripture. In Romans 10, 14, it says, how will they be saved unless they hear? And how will they hear without a preacher? And three verses later in Romans 10, Paul says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Right? Now think about how you got saved. You were at a desperate place. And then what happened? God led a human voice to you. Did he not? God brought somebody to share the gospel with you. In some way, some form, somebody pulled you aside. Someone witnessed to you. Someone shared the gospel with you. Someone opened the word of God with you. Some, somebody brought you to a service. You heard the good news that Jesus could save you. Somebody did that. Amen? Like that's human. Somebody spoke the word to you. Praise God for people who declare the gospel. When I was 17 years old, July 1999, I was in a desperate place, dark, full of sin. I go to New York City and I listen to this kid from Texas share the gospel. I'd heard the gospel lots of times, lots of times. And I rejected it as fairy tales and things that weak people need and I don't need that. And all of a sudden, I'm in a desperate enough place that I hear this kid from Texas share the gospel with me. That word, that voice brought me to my knees. Not because the kid from Texas is anything, but because the gospel he was sharing is everything. Amen? Man, praise God for the messengers who declare the gospel in your life. Praise God. And praise God for Texas. Amen? Except for the college football teams there. Amen? <laughs> Amen. What was Paul's message? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe. Have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Like you're sitting on a chair, trust in Jesus. What beauty, what simplicity. What amazing power comes with that idea of believe, have faith in Christ, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord implies that Jesus is resurrected, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He rules over all heaven and earth. Believe in that guy as the guy who is over all things. Okay, believe in him, the Lord Jesus. God became flesh, dwelt among us, humble, kind, gracious, sacrificial, blood on cross. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Not you might be saved. Not maybe if you become a member of Living Waters, you'll be saved. 
Maybe if you do enough good works, you'll be saved. No, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Amen? It's Christ alone. Faith alone in Christ alone is going to get you to heaven. Don't let anybody get into your life and tell you it's anything other than that. It is faith alone, Christ alone. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2.8. If you're going to heaven, you're going to heaven based off of the grace of God. Amen? Hey, you can smile about that, church. That's cool. You're going to have, if you die today, you're going to heaven by the sheer grace of God. You put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll carry you home. Hallelujah. He's going to take you across that river called death, and he is going to meet you on the other side. And you're going to say, why, why, why? He'll say, why should I let you in? I have no idea. Literally, I believed in that man, that man. You know who you're going to be in love with when you go to heaven? Jesus. Nobody else. You'll have affection for other people. Trust me, I want to hang out with Paul. I want to, I want to know all the stories, right? But there's only going to be one that I love. And that's the Lord Jesus. God accomplishes his salvation through declaration. Christian, may you declare the gospel this week. Our world needs declaration people. We need to start declaring more. Two seconds on social media will tell you, I need to be declaring the gospel more. Our world needs more declarers. We can't have so many Christians silent, waiting for someone else to declare the gospel. Praise God for the Pauls who just scream it out at night and say, hey, we're here, believe in Jesus, amen. We need a lot more of men and women all over the church to rise up and be declarers. The third step is decision. And this will be a quick point. Decision, verse 32. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. God accomplishes salvation through this decision. They spoke the word to him. Paul and and Silas extended the conversation filled him in on the the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, I'm sure some fulfilled prophecy. And he let Paul and Silas speak the gospel to him and he believed, he made a decision. How do I know that he made a decision? Because he let Paul and Silas talk to his family. You don't let people talk to your family unless you believe what they're saying. I'm not letting anybody speak to my family unless I know what they're saying to be true. He made a decision for Christ. Remember that old hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus? Some of you sang it years ago. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The God accomplishes his salvation through a decision. And some of you need to make a decision this morning. You need to get your Philippian jailer on and you need to make a decision. Some of you have been hanging on the fence for a long time. You need to make a decision for Christ this morning. Had a really cool conversation, very quick, with a guy at 8.30 service who I've been sharing the gospel with. And I went and huddled up on my way to get my communion elements. And I said, hey, you ready to believe in Jesus yet? He's like, right now, right now, right now, this morning. It's time to repent. Amen, it is. Get, to, get it right. I'm going to take my communion elements. Go up here. You, you take care of that. Some of you need to make a decision. 
about Jesus. Okay, you've been hearing the gospel. It's time to make a decision. Step four is discipleship. And again, we'll just quickly go through this. Verses 33 and 34. Gospel accomplishment flows through discipleship. He took them that same hour of the night, washed their wounds, baptized them at once, he and all of his family, and they brought him up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. God accomplishes salvation through discipleship. Once you make a decision for Christ, you are now on this pathway called discipleship, a.k.a. sanctification, a.k.a. growth in Jesus, a.k.a. get down with Christ and let's walk together with him. Well, how do we know he's doing discipleship? Well, he got baptized at once. Talk about a whirlwind morning. You wake up at midnight, you get saved, and then you get baptized at, say, two or three in the morning. That's amazing. And he didn't hesitate. He viewed baptism as an essential step of identifying with Jesus. And for those of you who are baptism delayers around here, I'm talking to you as well. I don't see in Scripture right here a ton of evidence that it's like, well, I'll get to it when I get to it, okay? Fairly certain that when you believe in Christ, baptism is a normal and natural step of discipleship. And some of you need to click into baptism because the scripture says this is a good example of a Philippian jailer and his family who have believed and now it's time to do the discipleship thing. Let's get baptized. What about after that? Well, they're doing hospitality for Paul and Silas. They bring them up into the house. They set food in front of them. And they sit around eating food and rejoicing that the entire household had believed in God. What a cool picture of discipleship. Awesome. So cool. What, what, what does this mean? God is accomplishing obedience and joy in this man's life and his family. Obedience is, in discipleship, is opening the home and getting the food out. So what does Christian discipleship look like? Food. And all God's people said, amen. I mean, I don't know how you cannot be attracted to Christianity at this moment. What do I need to do to grow? Eat. All right. I'm in. Eat with who? Eat with your friends and celebrate Jesus. Okay. And what are they doing? Joyfully celebrating what? That they had believed in God. <laughs> what a breakfast that must have been. Waffle House, Denny's, Perkins, Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks. You got nothing on this breakfast right here. This is awesome. They're sitting around opening their home. And Christian, I just want to encourage you, if you are being a disciple of Christ, you need to open your home more. Okay? Some of you have the gift of hospitality. So it's like, yeah, amen, every day. I'll do that every day. I open my home every day because I love being with Christians. Some of you don't have that gift. I'm not telling you every day. I'm just telling you every once in a while, you should open up your home. And put food on the table with other Christians and celebrate that you're believing in God. It's awesome. I love the pulpit. I love to preach. I love Sunday mornings. I love our gatherings. I love it. 
This text tells me I should love the table just as much. Don't value the pulpit and the corporate gathering and not value the table. Some of the greatest moments of growth I've ever had as a Christian have come around a table with food on the table and us talking about Jesus. We're going to communion now. These are universal steps God always uses when people come to the gospel. God is accomplishing salvation in every generation through desperation, declaration, decision, and discipleship. So we're going to spend the next eight minutes in communion. Oh man, church. These are the most amazing eight minutes, right, of your life. This is holy ground for Christians because we get to think about where we're at. Desperation. Some of you need to get saved. Communion is a great time to get saved. It's a great time to accept Christ into your life. Some of you need to be looking through these other, these other steps. Maybe declaring. Maybe you need to confess sin. You haven't shared the gospel in who knows how long. Declaration is something to get right with Jesus. What about hospitality? What about discipleship? What about these steps, right? This is holy ground for us. Communion is for Christians. So if you're not a Christian, don't worry about it. Just chill. If you're a believer, examine your heart. Get things right with God. Get disobedience confessed. Get connection with Jesus. Get what you really need which is a remembrance of all that Christ has done for you and me. So I'm going to pray. Music's going to go on. Whenever you're ready, you can go back and get your elements. Come back to the chairs. We'll all partake together. But don't waste the next eight minutes. Redeem it for God's glory. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for... You're accomplishing gospel. Lord, as we go to the communion table, we have so much to think about, so much to process. So Lord, would you allow Christians to just be led by the Spirit, to confess sin, to worship, to pray, to connect, to remember. And God, for those who are here that don't know Jesus yet, would you move them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the very first time. God, we leave that in your hands. You're the one who accomplishes the work. We, we just are here to respond. So God, give us grace now. These next eight minutes, may they be special. May they be powerful. And may you be glorified in Christ's name. Amen.